0: Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. So my, my goal and plan um, is to get us all out of here to enjoy the last two hours of sun that we have before the wintry mix comes. How depressing is that? Right. Like that's just. Yeah. People have been only uplifting. Hey, do you know there might be wintery mix on Tuesday? It says, why would you ever speak that again? Stop talking. Right. Like it's just anyways, at least we've got to enjoy the sun a little bit in April. Uh, But uh, yeah, enough about the weather. Uh, Hey, so we are in the book of Philippians. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you were here last week, Resurrection Sunday, uh, we celebrated uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. We, we jumped ahead. We jumped ahead because I wanted to be in Philippians chapter 2 for Easter. And we kind of, you know, we're, we're a little late getting there. So we're going to finish chapter 1 today. So we're going to backtrack a little bit just to finish it out. Um, then we'll start in, in, in chapter 2 and finish that later. So uh, I'm excited about this. We were driving. Home the other night, um, we, took, uh, we took our kids and our dog to Mona's to get ice cream. It's the first time, it's the first time we took our dog uh, to get ice cream. You know, I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know if that's normal, um, but we did it. And, uh, and we, we did it because, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, we had two dogs, but because of some circumstances and some events that have taken place, it's been pretty hard in our home because we had to put one of them down. And it was our big dog, Hercules, our English Mastiff. And so it's been, that's harder than you would, than I would have thought uh, to walk through that. And so so now I think like to deal with that kind of feeling, like I'm like, let's take Luna, our other dog, to get ice cream. Uh, if, but if you see Luna, she doesn't need ice cream. <laughs> Luna's hefty, right? She She's a big dog. And, and I thought like when I said, let's get ice cream, I, I forgot that that meant... I have to lift her into the vehicle, um, and, and I didn't anticipate it to be as difficult as it is. She's she's not agile. Like, this was, I, I did all, all the work, and I'm like, if we're doing this anymore, we need to get some sort of lift, all right? So, like, <laughs> she was, no, she's big dog. Anyway, so I picked her up and and put her in, and it was exhausting. And so then we go and we get we get ice cream. And it's the first time I guess she's had ice cream. She didn't know what to do with this. And um, so I ordered her a cup of vanilla ice cream, and she's sitting in the back, like licking it. I was like, This is amazing. I'm like, Yes, this is what you do when you're sorrowful. Um and so we're we're driving back uh, home and and someone in the vehicle. Looked, we saw this, this little girl sitting in a chair in her driveway, and, uh, and what was probably her brother, a few years older, standing next to her with this sign above her head. And this particular person in the car uh, said the statement is, is he selling his sister? Because if this was our home and this was the setup at our place, then what would end up happening is like our boys would definitely be trying to sell their sister. And so that's what we thought. Like he's holding up this sign above his sister. That must be it. Like us judgmental family driving down the road like, ah. And so we pass. And uh, it, it wasn't a sign that said, my sister's for sale. It literally says this. I kid you not. This erect is Jesus loves you. <laughs> right? Right? It was like, like what? How, who are those parents and what they do to their kids, right? I'm thinking to myself, like, my job, my goal in parenting is for my kids to love Jesus. I don't know if I could pay them to stand out there and hold a sign up over there saying, Jesus loves you. I'm like, man, what happened to these kids? Let's send our kids there for a few days. And, uh, and so I'm, I was thinking about that as we get ready to walk through Philippians. I'm like, man, it's, it's always my aim and my, my desire Um, for us to to love Jesus. And and what I mean by love Jesus, I I mean it's my desire that we treasure him above anything else. Uh, Because love can be somewhat of a fickle word. Let me explain it this way. Think for a moment the thing that you prize the most. Prize the most. Like this, whatever this is. Like the goal in what we do here is that whatever that thing is that you prize the most is replaced with Jesus. And then that thing, whatever it is you prize the most, pales in comparison to now your love and prizing and treasuring of Jesus. And that's hard to do. Because you and I, we're we're distracted with so many other things. There are so many other things that are pulling us away from that. And what ends up happening is in the moment, in the season, we put different things on that throne of our heart that we tend to prize and we chase hard after it for a while until we realize that whatever that thing is on the throne of our heart fails us, terminates on itself, lets us down, isn't really what it promised to be. And so what we want is to say, listen, none of those things, anything else will never satisfy satisfy the throne of your heart and so what we want is for us to rightly know who Jesus is and if we rightly know him then we'll begin to treasure him if if we don't rightly know him and I'm not I'm not saying what you've been like necessarily taught about Jesus because I don't know if you know this man there's a lot of things that are said about Jesus aren't true but when we rightly see him for who he is then what happens to the heart is it begins to treasure who he is. And so I think what Paul is trying to do here is to realign the mind and the heart of the Philippians to make sure that they continue to rightly know who Jesus is so then they have the right affections for him. Like like if I told you this morning that I love my wife, I love her Beautiful curly red hair. Her blue eyes. Like I love that about her. Like some of you like where's she at? Like where's because she doesn't have red hair and she doesn't have blue eyes. So that's awkward. Is it not? what ends up happening is that we say we love Jesus, but we love a version of Jesus that we don't really love. And so that version fails us. And when that version fails us, we're like, it must be Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. Jesus never fails, will never fail. So if he has failed you, then he's failed the version of Jesus that you've created, not the one of the Bible. So that's what we want. Make sense? Good. Philippians chapter one. Um, When we started this, we only got through verse... I don't know, six, right? So, so we're going to put up in verse seven and we're going to finish it out, if that's right with you. um, We'll start in verse six, just a remind, reminder of two weeks ago. This is what he says, and I am sure of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that, that, that Jesus has this ability to perfect what he has begun. Uh, verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about you, uh, about you all, because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to read and we'll talk a little bit, but I have three points. And these three points, which is crazy. As I was reading through this, I'm like, man, where, where am I going to go with this? How are we going to wrap Philippians chapter one up? And, and I started to think, everything laced in chapter one has these three revolving ideas. Ready? Prize Prize Jesus make disciples and love well. And so my three points, if you didn't see, I I even put it up here on the front for you. My three points this morning found in Philippians chapter one is is this concept of prizing Jesus and making disciples and loving well because everything that we're about to read is what Paul is discussing and sharing back with that church saying this is what it looks like. In the process of whatever you're going on, the circumstances that you're in, how difficult they may be, here's what we can do. We can prize Jesus. And because we prize him, we can share him And because we share him, it gives us this empowerment to love even those who are persecuting us. And so we're going to see this play out. And the first thing that we see is Paul's love for the church of Philippi. I don't know if you saw, it says, I am sure of the or um, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me um, in grace, both in my imprisonment and defense of And confirmation of the gospel that Paul is writing them back and says, listen, I I am so thankful for you. I yearn for you. I love you. Here's why I love you. One, because even though I'm way over here and you haven't seen me in almost 11 years, even though I'm away from you and I'm in prison, you have never forgotten about me. You have supported me. You have loved me. You have encouraged me. You've sent money my way. You've sent gifts my way to let him know that during these 11 years as Paul is out there advancing the kingdom powerfully through the gospel message that his church that he began in Philippi is thinking, praying about him. And they're... They they have not stopped. They haven't stopped in not only helping him and encouraging him, but also... Defending and confirming the gospel, the hardest thing, the hardest thing in the current American Christian church climate to navigate is, is all of the false gospels that are treated as the real gospel. Like, there's not a defense anymore, because this is what it says will happen, that you and I, as time continually progresses, will be naturally attracted to things that itch our ears, and if we are not steadfast in Scripture, we start to believe that that sounds better than this, and so there's no longer defending of the gospel. There is a melting pot that we've called the gospel that isn't the gospel, and it's not rescuing and saving people, not because the power's without the gospel, but because we're teaching something that's not the gospel and I and I think what we need more is a full understanding of not the gospel as a junk drawer but the gospel as in it is by his grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ to the glory of God, and that faith that we have isn't something we mustered up, but it's also a gift from God so that no man should boast. What we need more of is people to say, hey, this is what it takes to be saved. Believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He is the rescuer of souls, the redeemer of souls. He is the one who came from the throne of heaven to pay the penalty and the price that you and I deserve. So that we can have life in him like we need we need more of that and we don't get it in fact what we get is like man if you if you believe in jesus and you do like these four steps then you're going to have a great life everything everything's gonna be wonderful like if you do if you do these 12 steps in order and then you sow 53 dollars to my ministry this is what like we need more of the gospel so that people rightly see Jesus and then begin to treasure him. So, so look at what he says in verse eight. Paul looks, as he's writing this down, he says, as God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ. Like he longs to be with them. As he thinks about them, he's writing this thing down. He's thinking about them, and his heart and his mind is moved in affection. And not only affection, but affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Look at this, verse 11 filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he wants the church of Philippi to understand and, by way, wants us to understand um, that Jesus does this beautiful thing. He does two of them. This is the first thing. That because of our belief in him, we have this positional righteousness, meaning what does it take to have right standing before God, a holy, righteous creator of the universe, uh, separate from us, big, massive, holy, righteous God. Like, what does it take? And what it takes is our belief in Jesus Christ, his righteousness. So we have positional righteousness that he gives us, but then there's this thing that happens. We have this fruit of righteousness, like our, our righteous deeds, how we start to navigate life. Now that you believe in Jesus, your belief starts to change your, your behaviors. But what I love about this, as he's reminding the church of Philippi, is that even the righteous acts that we do, look at this, come through Jesus. That you and I still are not left alone in this thing. That it's still not up to you in way of appeasing God by your behaviors. That still, that it is Jesus that sustains us and saves us. That it is in Christ that we still have our position and it's in Christ that he begins to change our behaviors. Listen, here's what's crazy. You can have you can have a person who would can drank alcohol for a long portion of his life and decided that he needed to stop. And for three years didn't touch alcohol. And white knuckled it, but still every fiber of his being still longs for a sip of that drink. He's not free. Whether he's without it or not, he's still not free. And so what Jesus does is doesn't leave us alone in that, that his spirit starts to work from the inside out. And sometimes it's a a slow work. Sometimes it doesn't go as quickly as we want. And then us watching on the outside, we're like, Jesus, you need to move faster than that guy right like they're they're still far you need to do this or this one like this is what ends up happening but what happens is if we trust what jesus is doing inside of us he will begin to kind of tear down those things and create true freedom instead of a false freedom so it's no longer me white knuckling it it's i'm truly free from this because jesus christ has set me free from this sometimes that takes some time but if you remember what he says up here that I am sure of this, that who, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God God has not given up on you even when you've given up on yourself. Which is good news. It is good news. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Uh, so that it has been become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of the uh the that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Which I'm gonna continue reading verse 15. Says that some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, and others will Uh, from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, let's just do some work for a moment. First thing, he says that um, what has happened to me currently has help to advance the gospel. So much so the entire imperial guard knows about Jesus. Now, how does that occur? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm put in a precarious situation, a difficult one, dark one, gloomy one, it's my proclivity to complain. I'm I'm alone in that? You don't? Okay, so what happens is, if things don't go the way you want them to go, and we're like, oh, God, why are you doing this? This is not how I had it planned out. And so for Paul, he is currently in prison, literally in prison for advancing the gospel, which makes you wonder, okay, God, this is how you treat people who are doing your work? And what it says here is that people who are watching Paul, brothers who are watching Paul, are actually becoming more confident for seeing him being true and steadfast to the gospel and being imprisoned because of it. So they start talking about it more. I'm like, that is not like American Christianity at all. People get in difficult situations. Ah, I need to tone this down a little bit. Not for Paul. He continues. He's put in prison. And it's advancing the gospel. And this is what happens. Most of the uh, theologians, commentaries would tell you that this kind of prison in the Roman era during this time for Paul as a Roman citizen would have been um, literally handcuffed, um, chained to a guard uh, in this little quarters area that he would live in while he is awaiting his trial. And what would happen is that each guard would do a rotating shift. So they would come in and they would be chained to Paul. And this guard would be with Paul for however long their shift is. And so what Paul is doing is like, this is a great opportunity. Every person, every person that's chained to me is going to hear Jesus. And so when he says that he has had the opportunity to spread Jesus through the entire imperial guard, he's not lying because every every uh, guy who was chained to him, he was sharing the gospel with. So this is what it tells me that if you rightly know Jesus, you prize him, and if you prize him, you begin to talk about him. Like, it was natural for Paul. I wonder, I wonder how those guards felt. No, man, it's your turn. Uh, no, I, yesterday for 12 hours, I listened. Right? Can you imagine? Like, I only am going to talk to you for 42 minutes, right? And you're like, man, is this guy going to end? Can you imagine being chained to me? We'll talk all day long, and so for for him, I, I'm sure all the imperial guard like had to t- draw the straw, right, to 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 be chained to Paul, but he used it because he rightly knew who Jesus was. Therefore, he prized him. And listen to me: the thing you prize the most, you naturally talk about. You have a good steak. What do you do? You go to a restaurant, or you, or you. Like, like if I cook food on my grill, I'll send pictures of it to like my parents. Like, ha? What you're missing, Alan, right? Like, because what you prize, you talk about. And so for Paul, he prized Jesus so much. He's like, I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to advance the gospel. I wonder what the conversation would be like between us and Paul. Like, let's let's say we sit down with him he's like, Hey man, what'd you uh Man, how was living for Jesus for you? I said, well, I went to church once a week. What What does does that mean? I wonder what Paul's reaction to that would have been like. Because Paul in living for Christ wasn't a church attendance. It was an everyday, this is who I love, who I taught. This is what it's about for me. So I think the conversation would be weird anymore. I think we've turned this thing into something that maybe it, it shouldn't be. I'll say it this way, and this is pro- this is like this is not good for a pastor to say because it's antithetical to growing anything. Um, but here's what I'll say: uh, This shouldn't be the crescendo or climax of your Christian faith. Sunday. This sh- this shouldn't be the greatest moment, the moment that you feel the most victory, the moment where you feel the most celebration. Like if that's if this is if this is the day, that's it. Then you're probably actually um, kind of uh, believing more in me than you are Jesus. Because so many people attend churches today that go to hear the pastor that's preaching and their relationship with Jesus is actually vicariously through the pastor instead of with Jesus. And so it's the reason why when they leave the church and they do life, they struggle a little bit. And like, I need to get back to church. I need to hear the word. I'm like, you got the word. You got the word right here. Read the word. And it's like, I don't read the word. It's boring. That guy's funny. I'm gonna go there. Listen. Paul addresses even in this text while I'm in prison there are people who are spreading the gospel for their own ambition for their own self their own selfishness some do it for greed and money some do it for clout and status some do it because they just want to see people know Jesus anyone here critical and cynical Okay, one person I know, like I know some of you, like your hands should have went up right away. Right now, you're actually critical. That I even asked the question, and so here's what happens: like you start to like tear apart churches and pastors and things that you see and hear. Like, oh, that's not right. That's not like what's crazy to me is that Paul here says, "Listen, there are literally people who are growing in their status by preaching the gospel." in the face of Paul and his imprisonment, trying to gain more status than he has because he's in prison, like all this is going on. They're trying to posture for more status and position because Paul's out of the game right now in prison. And so they're doing all these things to grow. And Paul's like, you know, I hear about that. That's cool. Some do it for the wrong ambitions. Some do it for the good of Christ. Did you see what he says? Either way, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I'm not there yet. Uh, that's a struggle. Like, I'm critical and cynical, so I look at things. And here's what we need to come down to. What we need more of, as I already said, is churches and people proclaiming Christ. And however the motives are behind that, are not for us to judge. What Paul is saying here is listen, Christ is being preached. God will deal with the intentions. That's what we need more of. We need more people to just talk about Jesus, make disciples because we're in love with him. Let's continue on uh, verse uh, 19. Yes, and I will rejoice. 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And then our theme verse for this uh, journey is this one. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always will be honored in my body, whether by life, or by death um, he mentioned something in verse 20 that is my eager, eager expectation and hope there's a hope that he still had even in difficult situations even being in prison even when he had hardships even when he was beaten like he had a hope I'm telling you this what we need more of is the hope that's found in Jesus because we've we've misplaced Hope, People oftentimes come to Jesus now for the hope of restoring their marriage, for the hope of restoring their life, for the hope of restoring their uh, finances. And that's misplaced hope. We come to Jesus because he alone gives us hope. And in that, in that trust, in that believing, then my prayer is that he begins to work not only in my heart, but then my wife's heart or then my occupation, whatever it is. But we don't come to Jesus to fix things. We come to Jesus because he's our redeemer and we trust in what he ends up doing. That's hope. Because the one thing that cannot be taken from you, and if you've lived life long enough, you know anything and everything can be taken from you. The one thing that can't be is your position in God's family because of what Jesus has done. The victory that you have cannot be removed. And so that gives him hope. I remember I had this um, struggle. Like, it was was a moment of lapse in my judgment, for sure. I I wanted to start running. (laughs) This was many, many years ago. I'm like, I need to I need to run. I need need some discipline in my life. That's what I was doing. I need some discipline. So there's a guy in my church who um, was a part of the Canadian Special Forces. He's he's a good dude. And I'm like, hey, man, you want to start running in the mornings? He's like, yeah, man, let's do it. I'm like, great. What time? He's like, what what about 5? I said mornings, like not 5 p.m. Like No, no, 5 a.m. 5 a.m.? Sure. Right, like I, like I can't. back. He's Canadian Special Forces. I'm not gonna back down now. I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. I'll run faster than you, right? And so we, we go up. It's in Okeechobee, Florida, and we're we're running on 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 the dike, which is this the only mountain in in Florida, and it's surrounded by it surrounds a lake, so it doesn't you know tip over again. And so we're up there, and it's late late at night, 5 a.m. in the morning, and and we're we're running pitch pitch black. It's dark. I don't know if you know about it in Florida, but that's when Alligators are active. Snakes are wild. Like, this is crazy. And so we're up here running next to the lake. I'm like, we're going to die. But I can't say that to a guy who's Canadian Special Forces. I can't even act afraid. You know that? As mit- like, like Like, I am... Let's go. Let's do this. And so we get there, and we start running. And and I I really got into this to maybe try and get into a little bit of shape. And uh, A shape. I didn't care which way. I just wanted to move forward. And, uh, and so what ends up happening is, like, he starts to run a little faster. And so I start to run a little faster. And all of a sudden, like, we're both, like, competing, although we're not saying it. And I'm not going to get beat by this guy. He's Canadian. And so we're just going. <laughs> and so, so we're moving. And, and And all of a sudden, like, we're getting – we can't go around the lake. However far we go out, we got to come back. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we're going pretty far. Like, I'm going to die coming back. And so we continue to push and push and push. And so eventually I said, hey, man, you know, I got to be at work. Can't run for three hours. You know what I mean? Like, should we turn around? He's like, oh, yeah, I was just, yeah, we can turn around. So we turn around. And I'm like, all you see is darkness. And I'm like, he's going to have to carry me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to have mouth-to-mouth resuscitation by a Canadian forces, dude. And uh, so we're running, and then all of a sudden, like, you start to, you'd make this little turn. And I saw this light, and it was a light, the only light in the parking lot. I don't, I don't know what it was, but there was something about seeing that light, no matter how far away it was, that gave me what I needed to continue to run. That's hope. That's what Jesus, the light of the world, does is that you look around and you see utter darkness, but that you still see the light and it keeps you moving. Jesus has the ability to give you endurance you never thought you have. And the way you find that out oftentimes is when you walk through the darkest areas of your life. He gives you hope. Full curler, courage is now the Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He understands that because of his belief in Jesus, he knows that if he dies, if he passes away, that he will be face to face with Jesus, that he will be with Jesus forevermore in all perfection. And he knows that. He's like, man, that's, that's what I long for. That's what I want. But I know that if I remain here, then it's for you. It's for the furtherance of the kingdom. It's for the betterment of the believers. Like he understands this. And so he's he's trapped. I'm like, man, you're in prison. That doesn't sound fun, but he's still conflicted because he knows the breath he still has, he will use so that people know rightly who Jesus is. It's like, I want to be with Christ, but I need to be here. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So we see yet again an underpinning of Paul wants to remain because it's the betterment of those around him. He believes in to an nth degree the importance of making disciples, loving people well, encouraging them towards Jesus, and this is what he does. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Like I read that divorced of his context. I'm like, man, to be honest with you, I don't think I've done anything worthy, (laughs) worthy enough for what Jesus has done for me. Like we, we, we kind of extract this out and, we say, now this is where it comes to. It's by the grace of God alone. But now listen, make sure make sure you live your life worthy of the gospel. I'm like, but there are many times throughout the week I don't feel like I'm living worthy of the gospel. Anyone? So so then what, what does it mean here? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. I, th- I think that he explains it for us and it may look different than what we thought so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit. Keep keep in mind that he's talking to a church he started 11 years prior, who is facing an immense amount of persecution on their own accord. And he tells them, make sure you're walking a manner Worthy of the gospel. And really what he's telling them is, remember, you're a citizen of heaven. Because citizenship of Rome meant everything to to, uh, places like that. And so now they're facing the persecution, kind of feeling outcasted, kind of feeling disenfranchised, kind of feeling like they're alone. And Paul says, listen, hey, know this. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And here's what that looks like. Make sure you stand. You stand firm in one spirit. Make sure that unity matters to you. Fight for it. Know that t- togetherness is what's going to help you move forward. So walking in a manner worthy of the gospel is not walking alone. It's standing together. This isn't an individual how to make your life better. This is a call saying, listen, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, the first thing you need to do is not do it alone, but stand Together. And not only are we standing, we're also striving. I don't know if you see this. Look at it standing firm and one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So stand and strive. I don't know how we can figure that out. Kind of opposed. Either way, Paul's trying to get something across here that we stand together and we strive together. You're not in this alone. We're doing this thing together. Not only do we stand and we strive, look at this, and that we are not frightened in anything by your opponents. Or if I could say this, that we don't allow our fear to fit in the culture, to dictate how we stand and strive as a church. Because it, it's different for us. Like we're not talking about suffering and persecution. For us here, what we need to understand is that we're our fear is not we need to look a certain way so we're accepted. That's not it's not what needs to happen here. What, what we need to understand is that we stand in one spirit, we strive side by side in one mind, and that we're not frightened because we're not alone. We don't we don't have to be dictated by cultural whims. We can move forward as people who stand firmly on the gospel um this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake i don't like Anyone highlight and underline in their Bible? I know one of you highlights. Anyone uh, underline and highlight in your Bible? No? Okay, a few of you? Okay, you didn't want to raise your hands. Either way. Um, so what, it, what ends up happening here is that most of the time, when you look at the places you underline and highlight, they're encouraging, uplifting, like, oh, this is great. I don't, I don't think many people have underlined and highlighted uh, that, um, that you should not only believe but also suffer. Even with that, like when you read, suffer sort of thing here for his sake. Because we don't want that. We don't want that. We want to be comfortable. That we're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had now here that I still have. So here's how I'm going to end. Darren can work his way up. I I gave the scriptures this morning and I gave all of Philippians 1 and then like 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. And she's like, you're not going to get through all this. So... (laughs) I'm going to tell you about it. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, here's what happens. Paul explains all of the difficulties he went through. His beatings, his hardships, his shipwrecks, all of these things that happen. And not only all of those things, but he also has the anxiety for the church. And so here's what's going on. The word suffer here encapsulates a few different things. The current suffering that the church of Philippi were experiencing, meaning that they were being outcasted, uh, they are being disciplined, they are being put in prison because of their belief in Jesus. But it also means physical sufferings, the physical ailments they were struggling with, the diseases they would come down with. Like they felt that. And here's what happens. They would start to wonder, okay, in my suffering, God, are you not aware? Anyone ever been there? God, in going through this, where are you at? And so Paul's encouraging them to let them know listen, you were called to believe in Jesus, whether or not he changes your circumstances the way you want or not. He says you were called to believe in and suffer for. And so what ends up happening is that we want our circumstances to change so badly that we forget that our calling for you, like our calling, is to believe and suffer. So not only was it the persecution they were going through or the physical suffering, but it was also the suffering of temptation. Like the struggle, navigating this new living, but still being pulled by your own desires. Anyone ever feel that tug of war? Like I know the good I want to do and I don't do it and the bad I don't want to do, I do this internal struggle. And so what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 through 12 is he talks about all the painful experiences he's been through. But then it transitions into, but God allowed this thorn of my flesh that I prayed to him to remove three times. Now, we don't know what that is. We have speculations. We can figure it out. But we don't know. Here's what I know is that whether you're walking through a difficult scenario situation or you're struggling with temptation or you're struggling with some type of illness, what ends up happening, what ends up happening is that we looked to God and we're like, God, can you, can you just fix me? What's wrong? Can you just fix my situation? What's wrong with my situation? Can you fix this? And God's response to Paul I think it's the same to us. God has the power to change your circumstances. God has the power to remove disease and physical ailments from your body. God has the power to give you a supernatural strength to uh, navigate temptation. But it starts with us trusting in his grace is sufficient. Because I think what ends up happening is that we feel like we have to do it on our own. I'm broken, so I need to fix it. I'm broken, so I need to, uh, God, what what I need to do to fix me? And God's like, listen, first thing you need to do is trust in me and know that my grace is sufficient for you and that in your weaknesses, I can still be honored and gloried. And we live in a culture that wants to shy away from weaknesses and say it's all about the strengths. And I'm here to tell you that the best place to be is to understand that I am weak, therefore he is strong. That I am frail, but he is faithful. That in this, I'm not alone. I have the family to walk this thing out with and I have Jesus who has never abandoned me. And so it is his grace that's sufficient and whatever else comes out of that is extra. And I think what we need are more people who sit at the foot of the cross saying, Jesus, your grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. Father, as we end in a song and prayer that you just move in a way unlike we have ever seen in our own lives that you give us a strength and a longing to rightly know your son Jesus so that we treasure him and it gives us this ache and longing to spread him to talk about your son and that we will be a people who love well father it's crazy to me that even with the church of philippi and what they have walked through and what they endure, the words from paul back to them was this rejoice and encouragement rejoice and be encouraged and so i think what we need more of is a trust in that you are enough sufficient that you And your grace is enough for us. Father, we love you. In name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10.20 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.